Okay, Agunar of Shabbos Rabbi as we prepare for Shabbos Chazak, Parshas Bahar Bechukaisai. Today we have a very short shear, and then I'm going to wish you a good Shabbos. Um, speaking the Shabbos in Bala Kinwood in Philadelphia. So I'm just going to share with you um, some thoughts about preparing for the Yomtif of Shavuos, and then we're going to, uh, I'm going to bid you farewell. What is a Stradivarius? I thought you might want to know the answer to that question. Stradivarius is an instrument produced by Antonio Stradivari, an Italian who was born in 1644 and who died in 1737. Ah, Stradivari was a luthier, a maker of stringed instrument, violin, cello, guitar. During his lifetime, he crafted more than 1,100 instruments, and of those, 540 violins, 50 cellos, and 12 viola, violas are still in existence. A Stradivarius produces magical tones, unequaled by any other instrument. Many luthiers have attempted to replicate, reproduce the exact sound, but none have succeeded. Over the years, historians, music researchers have come up with various theories about why a Stradivarius produces such exceptional tones. Some claim it was the wood that Stradivari used. Others say it was the varnish, and still others believe it was the waters of Cremona, the city that Stradivari lived, that was the key factor. Now, one of the most world-renowned violinists today is Joshua Bell, who played a, who plays a Stradivarius. And about uh, 15 years ago, uh, the Washington Post introduced and arranged an intriguing little experiment to see how people react to unexpected, out-of-context art. So they commissioned Joshua Bell to stand in the Washington, D.C. subway station and to play classical music. Ordinarily, when Bell gives a recital, he earns about $1,000 a minute. Bell played in the subway station for 45 minutes, during which time more than 1,000 people passed by but in the 45 minutes that he played, only 27 out of the 1,075 passerbys threw the, a donation into the violin case, netting him a grand total of $32. And this experiment caused a tremendous sensation. Scores of articles were written about the experiment. Can people not realize and recognize quality art of, on their own? Why would people shell out upward of $100 a ticket to hear Joshua Bell perform and not stop to listen when the music is free? Does cost add value? Is it all part of our herd mentality? But I believe that we see a very important facet of human nature from this experiment. And that is no matter how inspiring how breathtaking, how powerful an experience may be, no matter how magnificent, it is very difficult for a human being to derive any benefit from it, to be moved by it, to appreciate it, without hachana, without preparation. The benefits reaped from any meaningful experience in life is usually commensurate with the amount of preparation that was put into getting ready for the experience. Because without preparation, the most majestic and meaningful opportunities are completely lost. 
Even the music of the greatest musician is lost to one who's not prepared to hear it. And if this is true in the physical world, all the more so in the spiritual world. We all know how hard it is to have kavana by davening. I think we would all want our davening to be a more meaningful experience for us. And one of the important reasons why it's not as meaningful as we would like is because uh, we allow ourselves to fall into it. Sometimes we come slightly late, or even if we come on time, or even if we come early, if the punctuality is just a function of our personalities, then we're still just falling into the davening. But if somebody came even a moment before with the mental attitude of preparation for what they're about to do, it will transform the whole character of the tefillah. So the truth is, if a person would reflect momentarily before any mitzvah and just mentally prepare oneself, okay, I'm about to perform the following mitzvah, the mitzvah would be elevated to a completely different uh, level. The Mitzvah Sisharim advises us in Perk Yitzayin, in Bedarche Knias Hatara, says Mitzvah Sisharim, Shaloyi Kaneis Bekiyam HaMitzvah Pesa Pisaim. One should not enter the performance of a mitzvah suddenly. Shein daito yadayin miyushavas olav without your mind being settled. V'yichoyla lezboyne b'mashu oisa without the ability to comp- contemplate what one is doing. If somebody just falls into shul, throws on the talus, whips on the tefillin, then it's not possible for the human mind to absorb what they're doing. We're mekayim so many mitzvahs, but does it really change us? Does it affect us? And part of the reason why not is we're not prepared for the mitzvah. So when you just do something, it doesn't impact you. Says Masilas Yisharim, Yasmin Atzmai Ladar. By the way, tonight is the yard side of the Masilas Yisharim, the Ramchal, the 41st day of Sfira. My good friend Rabbi David Afman told me that the Ramchal's yard side is Yesoid Shebi Yesoid, foundation of foundation. The Ramchal, of course, was connected to Yosef HaTzadik. You should prepare yourself for the matter. Prepare your heart patiently. Until you enter the mitzvah in contemplation. Then you'll be able to contemplate what you're doing. And before whom you're performing the mitzvah. By the way, this doesn't take long. We're not talking about grandiose preparations. It's the mo- just take a moment before you daven, okay? I'm about to stand in prayer before the Creator of the universe. That will drastically elevate, elevate the level of your tefillah. Yushalmi, Masech the Kedushin Parak Aleph, Halacha Zayin makes an astounding statement. Yushalmi says, what is considered the lightest mitzvah, the mitzvah which is most kal, the lowest on the totem pole, says the Yushalmi, Kala Shabakala The mitzvah that is the smallest of all six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs is Shiluach Hakain sending away the mother bird from the nest and then taking the eggs. That is considered the smallest and most inconsequential mitzvah in the Torah. Why is this mitzvah considered the easiest, the least significance? The least significant nowadays, by the way, people pay a lot of uh, money to be Mikhaim Shulach Hakain. I once told you I have my good friend. Rebbe Chanan Klagsvald and uh, Yisachar Dov Teitelbaum of 
a summer community. They once invited me to do Shulach HaKain by the Brooklyn Navy Yard. It's, uh, it's not a common occurrence, not a, it's not a everyday opportunity. And why is this mitzvah considered the lightest of all the mitzvahs? Says the Ger Rebbe, Shiluach HaKain is the one mitzvah you can't prepare for. It's ki yikare kan If you chance upon the bird's nest, you can't set it up. You can't prepare for it. And the benefit one reaps from anything in life, and certainly the benefit one reaps from the performance of a mitzvah, is so limited if one is not able to prepare for it. So therefore, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, the one that is considered the lightest of all the mitzvahs is shiluach hakein. Now, the Torah tells us, in last week's parsha, parsha's Emar, about the mitzvah of the Dalet Minim, it says the lulav should be taken, ulakachdem lachem bayoim, hachamisha asar. No, it doesn't say that. Ulakachdem lachem bayoim arishan. Take the Dalet Minim, the palm branch and the citron and the myrtles and the willows, take it on the first day. And the Medrash asks, what do you mean the first day? We take the lulav and esrog on the 15th day of the month. By all the other Yom and Toivim, it mentions the day of the month. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month. Yom HaKivim is the tenth day of the month. Sukkot is the fifteenth of the month. What does it mean to take the Dalit Minim on the fifteenth day of the month? Says the Medrash Tanchuma, Rishon L'Cheshvay Nabaynais. That the first day of Sukkot is the first day that one has the opportunity to sin. Says the... Um, Medrash, Erev Rosh Hashanah, nobody could sin. The Gedolim are already fasting on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Aseris, you made Shuva, the Medrash says many people are fasting. Nobody would sin on Yom HaKippurim. And then, the moment Yom Kippur is over, people are running to get the best Lu of an Esrog and to put up the Sukkah and the Schach and the decorations and all the preparations for Sukkot. There's simply no time to sin. And then you come home from shul on the first night of Yom Tif, and ah, you're relaxed, kick back, abyssal and hara, abyssal rechilos, some chatoim, some avoynois. So it's rishoin lechejboin avoynois, it's the first opportunity to sin. Asks the Taz, Rabinu David, Simon Tavkov Pe'alef, and by the way, the Pnei Yoshua said about the Taz, the Taz was the greatest of all the Achroinim, one time during the Chalmanitsky pogroms, the Taz's city was uh, surrounded by marauders and the Taz was leading the Tzibor in feverish prayer and the Taz fainted, he had a dream and in the dream they showed the Taz the Pasuk, the Ganoisi Aloir Bavur David Avdi, I will protect the city because of my servant David. And asks the Taz, there's something very suspicious over here. Because if Jews don't sin in the four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, because they're preparing for the Dalet Minim and for the Luv and Esroig, then certainly they're not going to sin on the first day of Sukkot because they're actually doing the mitzvah. If you're not going to sin preparing for the mitzvah, certainly you're not going to sin doing the mitzvah. Ask the Taz, Kasha, Lama be'emes ya'odif ha'achana le'ha'mitzvah shal sukkah minayoyim atzmai shemekaymin ha'mitzvah. Why would the preparation for the mitzvah of sukkah be greater than the performance of the mitzvah itself? Comes along the Sfas Emes in the year Tafresh Lamed Dalid, that's 1874, on page 176, Parshas Hazino in the Sfas Emes says, It is not far-fetched to say 
That preparing to do a mitzvah is more potent, influences a person more, than the mitzvah itself. And just because preparing for a mitzvah of sukkah protects a person from sin, the actual performance of the mitzvah may not be as impactful. By the way, there's a, a famous comment that Rav Soloveitchik once made in his uh, Tshuva Drashas. And he once said that in America, Baruch Hashem, we have Shoimrei Shabbos. Something maybe 50, 70 years ago, it was a rarity. But he would say, it is not for the Sabbath that my heart aches, but it is for, it is for the forgotten Erev Shabbos. There are Shoimrei Shabbos in America. But there are not Erev Shabbos Jews who go out to greet the Shabbos with beating hearts and pulsating souls. What do we do Erev Shabbos? We're running. Even, you know, when the days are longer, we leave things to the last moment. We stay at work later. We're scrambling. The mitzvah we do. Shabbos we do. The hachana for the mitzvah. That is sometimes where it's lacking. And the maximum benefit of Shabbos, the primary Kedusha of Shabbos, will come from the preparation we put into it. By the way, here's another interesting Maramakan. The Medrash says, That when the Mishkan was uh, erected, Vayihi, the Riban Sham, bemoaned the, the completion of the Mishkan. Hashem said, now that the Mishkan is up, there's nothing that will preoccupy the Jewish people not to sin. So the Shem Yishmuel asks, what do you mean? If preparation to build the Mishkan stopped them from sinning, then all the more so the Avoidah and the Beis HaMikdash will prevent them from sinning. And the Shem Yishmuel says the same principle, that the hard work and the labor and the efforts that, were put, uh, that are put into doing a mitzvah have more of a potent effect and a protective effect even than the mitzvah itself. And therefore, friends, when we think about what is the most momentous occasion, the most monumental event in the history of the world, it was the giving of the Torah, Maimon Har Sinai. It's the most important event in the history of the world. God revealed Himself to an entire people for the only time in history to that, to that extent. Kabbalah's HaTorah was authenticated by more eyewitnesses than any event in the history of the world. You know, when uh, the President of the United States is uh, inducted, there are only a million people there. Kabbalah's HaTorah was in front of three million people. And therefore the Yom Tif of Shavuos, which commemorates the giving of the Torah, is in a way one of the greatest opportunities we have the entire year to connect to Rebbe Shalom. And I think this puts the days of Sphira in a new focus. Because the more important something is, the more preparation it needs. So for Sukkot, we only have four days. And for Pesach, which is so important, Shoilem Vedarshem Behilchas Achag, Shloishim Yom, we prepare for 30 days. But for the day that we need to reenact the acceptance of the Torah, a few days are not enough. 30 days are not enough. We need seven full weeks of preparation. And the spiritual benefit that we'll reap from the Yom Tif of Shavuos will be proportionate to the preparation we do in anticipation for the Yom Tif of Shavuos. 
So here we are now, about uh, 10 days before Kabbalah Satayra, and we want to at least take advantage of the preparation we still have for the Yom Tov of Shavuos, and whatever we could do to deepen our commitment to Limad HaTayra, spend more time learning, be more dedicated, to be more focused, to whatever we could do, whether it's uh, perhaps writing notes, perhaps it's review, but whatever we could do to heighten and elevate our preparation for the Yom Tov of Shavuos um, and take advantage really of the period that HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up for us. And it is upon us to utilize this opportunity to prepare it to the maximum amount and uh, commensurate with that, the Ribbon will bestow on us great spiritual treasures awaiting us on the Yom Tov of Shavuos, the Yom Tov of Kabbalah Satoira. Thank you everyone for listening. At this point, I'm going to wish everyone a good Shabbos for this week. And uh, Bez Hashem, hope to see everybody Monday. Okay? Okay. Kol Tov, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Kol Tov, good Shabbos. Bye-bye. Amen. Thanks.